So last week we began a new series titled, What is a Disciple of Jesus Christ? And as I talked about last week, knowing the answer to this question is vitally important for us as individuals, but also for us as a church as a whole. Uh, Because if we want to grow as disciples of Jesus, then we must know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, right? This isn't rocket science, what I'm talking about here. This is just, uh, if we want to know what we want to become, we must know about it, right? Uh, But as we, as a church, want to carry out the command of Jesus to go and make disciples, we need to know what we're seeking to make as we're seeking to go and to make disciples. And so this is a super, super important topic for Christians. And this is a super important topic for us here today. And last week, I also established what a disciple is. That a disciple is a student. But in Christianity, it goes beyond just the academics. That being a disciple of Jesus is to learn from him and become like him in every area of your life. And so also last week, we, gave, uh, we, we looked at the first characteristic of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is, and that is a disciple of Jesus Christ is called, is called. So as Christians, we can know that we didn't sneak into the family of God. We didn't earn our way in through good behavior. And so we were brought, we were called into his family. We were chosen by him, not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but simply because of his grace and love and mercy that he extended to us. And knowing this, that we've been called, should give us confidence. Because after all, God picked you. He picked you. He chose you. And it should also give us purpose. Because now that we are part of his family, we know that we are on mission as part of the family of God. And so today we're going to now talk about the second characteristic of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that is that a disciple of Jesus Christ follows Jesus. Follows Jesus. And so to begin, I want to start by giving you an update of the the little chicken empire that I have going on in my backyard. A while back I shared that we had ordered some, some fertilized eggs off of eBay. We put them in the coop or in the, in the incubator, and in the incubator we waited and waited and waited. We waited 21 days, and nothing happened. And then finally, these lazy chickens started coming out of their eggs, and so they started coming. And then we eventually, once they got out, we moved them into their their own little uh, their own little chicken private chicken coop, uh, so that they wouldn't get picked on by the big chickens. And so while this was going on, as we were seeking to uh, expand our little chicken coop or chicken um, empire here, the chickens in the coop had another idea because they started sneaking out homegrown baby chicks. And it was as if they thought they were the Israelites at the beginning of Exodus and I was Pharaoh and they were they were like hiding them and trying to get them out before we discovered them or something. And before I knew it, there were these baby chicks appearing in the coop. And what I found interesting is what happened after that. And so the chicks that were born in the incubator and then raised in their private coop there, 
they were the, just these silly, independent-minded chickens. So they had no attachment to anyone else, and basically they did whatever they pleased. But the chicks that were in the coop underneath the hens, they lived in a totally different way. And so they, they, they acted like little shadows of their mommy. And so they went wherever their little, or their, wherever their mommy hen went. And the, if they got too, afar, too far away from their mommy hen, they started tweeting and running for mommy. It was mommy this, mommy this. And they got, when they would get scared, they would hide under their mommy. One time, it, one, one of them saw me coming, and he went, bloop, went right under mommy, as if, like, I was the bad guy here. Hey, I'm providing your mommy the food. Be grateful. Well, this past week, I, I got home, and some of the chickens had gotten out during the day, and it was raining, and so in the middle of the yard, which is a dangerous place to be in our yard, we've had hawks around in the past, but right in the middle of the yard is one of the mommies, and I see one little chick right around there getting rained on. And I'm like, where did the other two go? Did they get eaten? I don't know. And, and so I walk closer, and I notice that the other two are just hanging out right underneath Mommy, nice and warm, while Mommy's getting, getting rained on there. And the reason that I start with this story here is because I want you to see the difference between living for yourself and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So my incubator-raised chicks did whatever they wanted on their own. My hen-raised chicks would not leave the side of their mommy. And so as Christians, one of the marks of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and perhaps this is the biggest mark right here, is that a disciple of Jesus Christ follows Jesus, follows Jesus. So if we were the chicks, he would be the mommy hen. Disciples of Jesus turn to Jesus in all things. We seek to align every area of our life with to be like Jesus. And so not only do we go to him for protection, but he's our guide. He's the one that demonstrates how we should live. And so let's go ahead and let's take a quick look at the passage that we looked at last week. And as promised, we're looking at it again this week. So we'll start here in Matthew chapter 4. So while walking by the sea, he, this is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, uh, in the boat with Zebedee their father. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And so, as I said last week, the foundation of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is being called by Jesus. But the call to follow Jesus, the, or the, the call that Jesus gives, is the call to follow him. As we saw this played out with the early disciples, the same is true for every disciple of Jesus after that as well. And so th this took place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
And so as he began forming uh, the group of disciples, he would go out and he would call them to, to join him. And he would, join, he would have them join him so that they would help him and that they would learn from him. And so he goes up to Simon, as we saw, who, would, who was later called Peter. And then he also went up to Andrew and he, and he tells them, he says, follow me. And these two words in English are actually three words in what it was originally written in, in Greek. And what Jesus is literally saying is, come after me. Come after me. And so that first word, come, it's a, a command. Hey, take action. But don't just take any action. He says, come after. So he's giving direction for the next word, me. Jesus is referring to himself there. And so the, the call to being a disciple of Jesus involves, first of all, action. That we are moving based on his command. But it, invo- it also involves direction. That we're not just moving anywhere, we're moving our lives behind Jesus. And so at the most basic level, that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To move the action behind Jesus in that direction. And so this is a good start here, but we need to get it a little bit more specific. How do we follow him? How do we move behind him? What, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And so to answer that question, I'm going to be looking at two different passages of Scripture. And so here's the first one that we're going to look at, and this is from 1 John. In 1 John 2, verse 3 John says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so here's the first way that we follow Jesus that I want to point out, and that is by obeying what Jesus says. By obeying. So John says here in this passage that it is possible to claim to know Jesus but not do what he says. But in doing so, by, doing, by, by going down this path, what he's saying is that those people that claim to know him but don't do what he says, they are liars. What are they lying about? They're lying about knowing Jesus. Because John isn't referring to knowing about Jesus here. He's referring to knowing Jesus in, intimately, having that intimate relationship with him. And so if you truly know Jesus, then you will seek to keep his word. That's what John says in verse 5. Or you'll also seek to walk in the same way in which he walked, as John said in verse 6. And so in other words, if you truly know Jesus, you will seek to obey him. And I want to point out that he's not talking about obeying perfectly. Because every one of us, myself included, we all fall short of the glory of God. But there is a big difference between someone trying imperfectly 
and someone not trying at all. I'm sure all of us can think of people who have gone down both of those paths. Now you may be thinking, some of you may be thinking, but Kyle, I would love to obey Jesus, but I have no idea what he wants me to do. How do I obey what he's saying if I don't know what he's saying here? And if that's you, then I would like to politely smack you over the head with a particular book. Because Jesus, there you go, because Jesus has spoken a lot to all of us. And I'd actually, in this section, I'd gone into much more depth, but just for the sake of time, I had to cut out a number of verses. This is the only verse that we're going to look at about this. But in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, all scripture is what? Is breathed out by God. So it's inspired, it's directed by God, even though it was written by various men and women. And so Jesus speaks to us through the Bible, through the Bible. And if if you want to go into that a little bit more depth, read John chapter 1, and that's a good place to start. But his words are there, waiting to be read, waiting to be known, and even more, waiting to be obeyed. So I, I want to take a small tangent here, because I have no doubt that a few of you, maybe more, may be wondering uh, something like this. All right, Kyle, I, I get it that, you, that, you're, that, that he speaks through the Bible. But can Jesus also speak to me outside of the Bible? Can he speak to me through dreams or through visions or maybe even audibly? And my answer to you is this. Yes, it is possible, but rare. And I, I've heard stories of Jesus appearing to people in visions, particularly in Muslim countries where they have no access to, script, to Scripture. And in those visions, people put their faith in Christ simply through the vision that they have. But, uh, and I've heard how Jesus has miraculously intervened in, in people's lives and worked in people's lives. But listen, I've also seen this abused far more often than I've heard it actually happen. Far more than, than, than it should happen. In college, I attended a uh, charismatic Pentecostal university, and it was not uncommon to witness people claiming to have a message from God. So I, I can't tell you how many times, during when I was in college there, I can't tell you how many times I heard people claim to have prophecies where they said God spoke to them, sometimes even audibly. Uh, for example, uh, one time we were in chapel, and the, uh, the, the speaker, who was the, at that time the president of the university, he's in the middle of, of preaching, and then he all of a sudden says, what's that, God? And he, and he right then claims that, that God is speaking to him, and then he passes that along. Well, unfortunately, a lot of what was proclaimed did not happen did not come true. And so here's two warnings that I want to give you about Jesus speaking outside of the Bible. First of all, we need to approach the idea of Jesus speaking outside of Scripture with caution. 
So he certainly can do it. He can do it. But in most situations in the 21st century in America, he doesn't need to do it. Because he has said everything that he really needs to say through the scriptures. And by the way, most of us have enough trouble obeying what he's already said. Much less if he's saying anything else to us. But second, we need to remember that the Bible always trumps what is said outside of the Bible. Because it's the Word of God that is perfect. And our capacity to discern leadings or voices or visions is very imperfect. That's what I witnessed when I was in college. Many of the people that that have these prophecies from God or or messages from God, they weren't trying to trick people. They genuinely thought it was happening. It was just that they were discerning incorrectly. And so, church, there will never be a time when a dream or vision would lead you to do something outside of what Scripture has said. So there will never be a time when when, when when your leadings from God tell you to do something contrary to Scripture. And by not following these warnings, this is what leads to cults and to heresy. And so we need to be careful about what we listen to. Here's the second way that we follow Jesus, and and this comes from Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So the second way that we follow Jesus is by loving Jesus and the things he loves more than anything else. So Jesus says that you can only follow him if you hate your family and if you hate even your own life. And when Jesus says hate here, he clearly can't mean what we think of when we think of hate. Because he tells uh, his disciples and followers in John chapter 13 to love one another. He tells them to love one another. And then he even goes as far in Luke chapter 6 to tell his followers to love their en- his, the enemies, to love their own enemies. So, so Christians are to be marked by love. In fact, we'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. But based on the, the other usages of the word hate in the New Testament, we can also gather that he, he's not talking about hate as we know it, but what he's referring to is to be disinclined to to disfavor or to disregard. So Jesus' point is pretty simple here. We are to love him more than anything or anyone else. And we're to love him more than our family. We're to love him more than our car or our job or our bank account or our prestige or anything else that might get in the way. And I was thinking about this. Does that sound a little bit conceited? 
from, from an outside perspective. Does that sound a little conceited of Jesus to say that? Does that sound a little self-serving? I mean, you know, we're to love Jesus more than our own lives. Really? And I would say yes. The answer would be yes if he were not God. So if he were a mere man saying that, then that would be a very self-serving thing to say. But as God, that changes things. So as God, he knows that your best life is lived in Jesus' shadow following after him. So you could do nothing better for yourself than to follow and love and serve Jesus more than anything else. That is in your best interest. You could also do nothing worse for yourself than to follow and love and serve yourself. And so th- this is not to say that following Jesus is going to make your life perfect from a human perspective. So when we say that there's nothing better than following Jesus, when I say that, what I'm referring to is from an eternal perspective. That there is nothing better from an eternal perspective that you could do than to love Jesus more than your own life. So based on everything that we've seen so far, let's think about this. Would you say that Jesus' message here of following him, would you say that it goes along with or clashes with the message of our culture. It clashes. It clashes. The message of our world is all about pursuing what makes you happy and what you enjoy and what you love. And I'm pointing this out because we must, as Christians, come to the realization that the message of Jesus and the message of the world do not align. You can't have or can't live out both of them. And so living how the world says is not living the way of following Jesus. And so as his disciples and his followers, uh, as we are one of him, our number one priority should be to honor Jesus in every area of our life over what the world is telling us. So as we start to to wrap up, I want to give you two takeaways. So how does this message of following Jesus impact our 21st century lives? So how can we live out the call to follow Jesus? Let me give you two things to consider. First of all, we need to get in the word of God. I came across a story on ABC News, uh, and it's about some Japanese tourists who were visiting Australia. I don't think I've told the story here, but if I have, forgive me. Um, These Japanese tourists went to Australia, and they rented a car, uh, and their plan was to, to drive to a place called North Stradbroke Island. But unfortunately, I read they didn't make it. Because following the GPS, they began driving away from the mainland toward the island. Did I mention there no bridge? So their GPS led them right on a path into the Pacific 
ocean. Now, I'm not an expert here, but if you are ever wanting to drive from the mainland to an island and the GPS doesn't involve a bridge, be suspicious. But as they started following the directions, the road at first started out fine. They followed it and followed it, and then eventually it changed to gravel. Well, gravel, you can drive in that, right? And then it changed to mud, and they got stuck. And then it got even worse, because then as they were trying to get unstuck, the tide started rising. And they had to abandon their car out there in the Pacific. And so they, as you can see in the picture, they even saw a ferry passing by them. Uh, watching them, I'm sure the people were like, oh. Now, this little mix-up led to all sorts of problems for the poor Japanese tourists. So they had to pay $1,500 in fees beyond what the insurance covered because the car was totaled. And this was all because a GPS led them astray. So with this in mind, would we all agree that having the right directions are imperative. And the same is true spiritually. And if we follow someone or something that is unreliable, we are going to end up in an unreliable direction. And that's why being in the Bible is so important. Because unless you are a monk, you you are constantly being dodged by all sorts of messages out there. From friends, from family, from TV, from movies, to radios, to books, and so on. All sorts of messages are coming coming to you. Now, some of these messages may be fine or good, but others are going to be really bad. And so if we're not careful, then some of these messages are going to get through and we we might start following them even if we didn't originally intend to. And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, one of our primary goals should be to get in the Word of God and to get God's Word inside of us. So I'm going to encourage every one of us, read it, study it. But even more, after you get it in your brain, work on getting it in your heart. Meditate on it and dwell on it. So it goes deep down inside. And so I want to encourage you, every day, get in there. Find the time that works for you. Whether that be early in the morning, late at night, in the middle of the day, whatever it may be, find the time that works for you and be consistent. Develop that habit in your life so that you are on a daily basis in the Word of God. Now, I don't have time to go into how we study the Bible, Um, And this is going to sound self-serving, but in my book, I wrote about this in a chapter on how you can study the Bible more in depth and and some Bible study methods that you can follow. But even if you don't get the book, which, by the way, is out there for very, very cheap, um, but even if you don't get the book, all sorts of areas online uh, give you ways to do it as well. So, So really, listen, church, in the 21st century, you have no excuse for not knowing how to read the Bible, and you have no excuse for not being able to read the Bible. Because if if you're not a good reader, listen to it. If you're not a good listener, read and listen to it. If you're still not, whatever it may be, get into it. Don't have the money to buy it? Look at it. Look it up. 
steal it from the church library. Whatever it may be. All sorts of Bibles are available in all sorts of different ways. And so get in the Bible every day. So second, how else can we live out the call to love Jesus more than anything else? Here's the last way. We need to search our life for idols and ask God for help to get rid of them. But then we need to align our actions in a way that honors him. In Psalm chapter 139, David prays this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any grievous ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David was serious about getting every impure, uh, idolatrous thing out of his life. He didn't want anything in his life that dishonored God. And so he asked God for help to get the negative things out. So notice he didn't pray, search me, oh God, and know my heart, and see if there's any really big areas of sin so I can get those out. No, he said, see if there's anything in my life that grieves you. And so I want to challenge you to have that same amount of pickiness in your own life. So when it comes to idols, when it comes to sinful patterns, even to the smallest thing, get those out of your life. Get every area of sin out of your life. And as you do that, seek to live in a way that honors him. So meaning that that you should aim for every one of your actions to glorify him. Reminds me of a book that came out. This is actually back in 1896. And it's called In His Steps. Probably many of you are familiar with it. And it became very popular. um, And uh, I read it a a number of years ago. It's actually a very good story. Um, But it's a fictional story about a pastor who challenges his congregation to not do anything before asking, what would Jesus do? And so as their church, in this fictional story, as their church took hold of this idea, it began to transform their lives individually, but also began to transform the church. And about 15 years ago, this idea uh, became popular again when the movie came out. And a number, a couple different movies came out. And so for a time, it was very common for Christians to be wearing a bracelet saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Now, whether or not you like the bracelet and choose to wear it or not, listen, the general question here applies to every one of us who follow Jesus Christ. As disciples of Jesus, our goal is to follow Jesus. And in doing so, our goal is to to figure out how we can best honor him in every area of our life. And in in some of these, it's pretty easy because Scripture makes it very clear that when you get mad at someone on 93, you, you shouldn't pull out your gun and shoot them. It's pretty clear that it does not honor Jesus to do that. But there's other areas that are harder to discern, right? Should you go to this school or this school? This job or this job? Should you order General So's chicken or orange chicken? Which one? But here's the cool thing. The more that you are getting sin out of your life, 
And the more that you're following Jesus in the bigger, obvious areas, the easier that it gets to follow him in the less obvious areas. So as you honor him more and more with the clear stuff, with the things that you know you're supposed to be doing, I find that the the less clear stuff just falls into place. And so I find that when you're seeking to honor him in the obvious things, the less obvious stuff just sort of works out no matter which one you choose. So don't stress about the little things, about whether you should eat pancakes or cereal for breakfast. Pancakes, by the way. Instead, stress about what you know you should be doing. Stress about what you know you should not be doing that Scripture makes clear. And then eventually, everything else just sort of falls into place as you're following him to the best of your ability. And so I want to close uh, with an article that I came across a while back in NPR. And this is about a guy, I'm gonna, I can't say his name correctly, but it's about a guy named uh, Taufuk Maula. And he's a 39-year-old father of two who lives in, um, uh, outside of Montreal. And he was on his way to the grocery store to pick up some bottled water when he popped in a CD and the song that came on was CNC Music Factory's 1990 hit, Gonna Make You Sweat, Everybody Dance Now. And when it came on, I'm going to read you what the article said happened after this. The article says, he sang the song, obviously, and suddenly, he says, he heard the wail of a siren behind him. I stopped, quote, quote I stopped, and four police came, two on each side. And checked the inside of the car. They asked me if I, if I screamed. And I said, no, I was just singing. The police checked his license and registration. And then they gave him a $149 ticket, which is $118 U.S., for the offense of screaming in public. He told CTV that he wasn't singing especially loud, just as loud as he would sing if, quote, you are happy and you like this song. He says, quote, I don't know if my voice was very bad, and that's why I got a ticket, but I was shocked. I understand if, the, if they're doing their job, they're allowed to check and if everything's okay, if I kidnap someone or if there's danger inside, but I would never expect that they would give me a ticket for that. Myola says that he's contesting the ticket. But then the article ends with this question saying, a question for the Montreal police. How do you not sing to this song? And church, as disciples of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you a similar question. How do you not glorify Jesus with your life? How do you not follow him as his disciples? How do you not honor him with your lives? That's what we as disciples are called to do. And so let's be intentional in every area of our life, honoring him and following him. So I want to close with these two questions here to think about. First of all, have you started following Jesus? 
You're not one of his disciples until you make the intentional decision to follow after him. And so I want to encourage you to turn to him, to give him your life. And if you do, he welcomes you into his family. But second, I want to ask you, what areas of your life are you not honoring him with? Are there, the, are there, there any little areas that you're holding back, that you're hiding in the little crevice of your life? that you need to give to him so that you can also say, see if there are any grievous ways in me. So on that, on that note, let's go ahead and let's spend a moment now in prayer. And as we sing this last song, let's process these two questions and ask him for help to take that next step of faith where, wherever it is that we need to go to grow as disciples of Jesus.